and I dropped the bike. So it's keep in mind, it's 113 degree heat index in Mississippi. I dropped the bike, break the clutch lever. You can't ride the bike without the clutch. So break the clutch lever, snap it. Realized right then after it happened that I ran out of water. Day three. <laughs> Everybody, and welcome back. Man, I'm pumped. 2020, here we are already. It's crazy, crazy, I tell you. I hope everybody had a good break. Um, if you did have a break, you know, got to see some family over the holidays, ate some good food. I know I did. I wanted to start this year off uh, with this episode of John Mofield. He's a friend of the band's. Um, he did our bad news video, if you guys have checked that out. You can check it out at highwaynatives.com. John recently, you know, this past year, he went on a trip across the country. He went from Tennessee to California and back on his motorcycle. And we got to talking about it. And I was like, man, I got to have this guy on to talk about this trip. And not only did we talk about that, but we talked about some other great things. John's an amazing videographer, photographer. He's got uh, he's got some really cool stuff to talk about. I don't want to ruin it all, and it's it's a pretty long one. So let's get right into it. This is episode eleven, John Mofield on Paving a Path podcast. Cool man, we're rolling. So, what do I do with my hands? Yeah, right. <laughs> man, uh, I really appreciate you coming by, dude. Man. What, what was your day like today? What did you do today? Oh man, it was it was pretty laid back. I I've got a little studio in Germantown. I've just been kind of editing. I've been editing the Rally George thing for a little bit, uh, doing some final tweaks to it. But yeah, just a kind of a boring day at work, to be honest. That was probably you. you just moved in there, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It was pretty. It wasn't that long ago. It was like uh, I mean, shit, last week. Dang, real quick. Yeah, <laughs> hasn't been long, huh? Yeah, no, no. It's it's new, but I mean. It's kind of been in the works for a while. I, I mean, it it got pushed back a couple months, so I've been like slowly moving in sort of for a couple months, and then it was like sort of a thing before I even left for the trip. Um, so it's, yeah, it's been a thing for a little bit, but yeah, just moved in, but it's been pretty nice. I'm like, I think like two days ago, I was like pretty much done moving in, which has been, yeah, it's been nice. I know you were talking about moving out west at some point is that still a thought or you it's it's always a thought yeah i mean i it was much more serious back then i feel like um but it i don't know what made you stay oh man uh so many things so many things i feel like the rally george documentary it was like a big the making of it was a big deal by the way that was that was one of the most touching things films i've ever seen man dude that means a lot seriously i know that like I mean, that means more than you know. So I, t- tell me how that came about. Like, why why did you want to do that? Man, I don't know. I was at, I was at a, a point in my life where, I don't know, I was just like, I was in a little bit of a creative rut. I was like serving tables at the time and um, uh, taking a lot of photos. And I was just like, I want to make another film, but I want to make something that like means something like that is more. It's bigger than anything I've ever done. Bigger in the sense of like bigger than myself or like the things that I want uh, more about the person it's about. And I'm into documentary, so I figured that that sort of it would be about some person. And I sort of knew a George, and um, I'm into cars on the side. And a friend of mine was like, bought this weird old car and was like, hey man, there's this, uh, there's this, I bought this weird old car and I can't find any parts for it, but there's this old man in Illinois I saw on Craigslist and he's got tons of parts and tons of these weird cars like rusting away. Let's go check them out. I was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Why not dude? And you know, that's what we sort of did when we were younger. It's like we, we just loved, uh, I don't know. Cars are just interesting. The people you meet, like just getting, especially rare cars that like you can't find parts for. It's always some oddball, hobbyist who has them so oh, we were like yeah we'll get some stories you know and oh my gosh uh we uh we definitely got some stories <laughs> man like we there's this old man and he's like little and he's just like little and 
gentle. He's just like a this quiet, gentle old man, but he used to race rally cars in the 70s, and his wife Doris was his co-driver. This dude is 72 years old, and I was just like, I was blown away by that. And yeah. I was like, oh, man, like, this is it. You know, I was thinking about doing a documentary, and this guy's like, I think that I want to do one on him. But still at that point, it was just like, this guy was like an icon, you know, I was like, oh, he's a renaissance man. He he raced rally cars. He was an artist. Uh, he is an artist, a musician. He acts. He was a radio host. Like, he's done it all. He's a pilot, lifelong pilot. And so I was like, this guy's really interesting. I want to do a doc, short doc on him. But it was, the plan was like, I'm going to do, and keep in mind, at this point, I, I still was like, I wanted to move to Los Angeles at this point. You right. know, I'm a cinematographer, so I was like, I, that's where I need to be. But right before now. you met him, you knew you wanted to do a documentary. Yeah. And then you, you just happened to stumble across this guy. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, it was kind of a loose thought, I feel like, before I met him. Because I was like, I, I want to do something else. And I know I want to do a short doc on someone. And then I met him, and you know everything just kind of, like, clicked. Yeah. But I I wanted to move to L.A., um, I went there. I really liked it. I had friends there, friends from mine from New York moved there. And I, I don't know, I, I was gung ho on it. I mean, when I met you, I was like ready to do it. And Rally George actually happened before I met you guys, but I was still kind of, I don't know, I was still kind of on the fence about it. But regardless, really what happened is I got involved in this film and I interviewed this guy and it started out as me just being like, oh, this is an interesting dude. It'll be an interesting film. But when I interviewed him, I realized that, oh my gosh, it's like his view on life is, and his just worldview in, in general is so profound. Like yeah. it, oh my gosh, I'd never experienced anything like it. I was just listening to him talk and it was the most intellectual, but simple thing at the same time. And because it was so simple, it was in my eyes, a thousand times more intelligent. It was like he figured, he just figured it out. Like, I don't know, he figured out the way to be curious and have like a lust for life and knowledge, but also know that if he lost it all, he would still have enough. Right. You know, it's like this, it's like this quest for more, but knowing that that more doesn't define who you are. Exactly. And I don't know. So I was like, oh, here I was saying that this guy is interesting because of all these things that he does. And that's like, he like kind of threw that notion in my face without even meaning to. It's like, he's not interesting because of these things. He's interesting because he's George. And like, I would, I don't know, I talked to him about, I talked to him about all kinds of things. He talked about like, you know, relationships and, and, uh, how we treat people and, I don't know, and all of his hobbies and, like, his curiosities and things kind of tie into this. Like, he's curious to learn things and to experience things, but he's, most of all, he's curious to, um, like, for people. Just to, like, he wants to, he's always the one to listen and not to speak, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it just changed, you know, and it became, I started to see this, like, really profound view that he had, and I was like, wow, this is, like, bigger than I expected, and I knew there was going to be more. Um, and then the crazy thing is after I get, get done with the interview, right. And it went really well. And I'm like processing everything. I'm like, Oh gosh, like how, how am I going to do this thing justice? You know? And then he's like, Hey John, like, what are you doing tonight? And you know, keep in mind, I'm from Nashville and this is in Mount Carmel, Illinois. So I'm like, I, I don't know, George, like I'm with you. Like, <laughs> yeah. What you know, we, like, yeah, what are we doing yeah. tonight? And he's like, well, I got, I'm going to have dinner with some of my friends. You want to come along? And I was like, yeah, sure. It sounds nice. So I get there and there's this like, there's this family and these kids are like, you know, playing, showing me their cello recital and playing like classical piano. And they're just intelligent. I'm hearing stories about them. Like, uh, one of them is like, 13 and being like looked at from harvard and this is a mount carmel population of four thousand, you know like <laughs> yeah. and dropping slim pickings yeah so i was like who are these people and i so i leaned over to george and we we're having dinner i was like george this is great like who are they and he was like oh well me and doris never had kids so they sort of adopted us as their grandparents and i was like what he never said that in the interview at all. Yeah, never like, mentioned it because he would never he just doesn't it's not about him you know right the interview was great, um, but it 
yeah, he just, he doesn't. So I didn't know that, but I knew that suddenly that this was at that point I made this connection to where, oh, there's, you know, he has this profound view, but it was more like, it was more shoving that notion in my face again. That was like, I looked up, I like thought I looked, the things I looked up to about him were like that he was an icon and interesting, but really what ended up, uh, I don't know what ended up. I looked at it like that. The reason that he was interesting was because he did all the things, but really he just wants the same thing that everyone else wants was, you know, to belong yeah, or to love, yeah, to love and to be loved. And, and, Man, you you portrayed that in that film so freaking well. Man, I appreciate that. I didn't know what to expect when we went in there. I know you had shared quite a bit of it, and, uh, you know, I just didn't know what to expect. I'd never been to, like, a short film viewing or anything like that. First of all, it was an extremely cool experience just being there before the film is being played, and then it gets played, and I, I swear, and I know you've probably heard this a million times, but they're... There probably wasn't a dry eye in the house, man. And it was because <laughs> the film itself portrayed exactly what you're saying right now. It wasn't about, you know, all these things he has and all these cool things about him. It's just who he is as a person and his right. family. Yeah, and I think that I think that the one reason that I kind of I kept the backbone of the film uh as like his hobbies sort of like run the backbone of the film because I think that's sort of like that's how I got to know him and then suddenly I was revealed so much more about him and I was like that's how everyone else needs to see him too they need to they need to at the beginning you know I was like they need to be like oh look he's a farmer oh look he does other things he has hobbies and then they're suddenly like oh wow like that's a that's a crazy hobby oh wow that's like a really profound thing you just said and then it just gets into like I don't know. It just you know escalates to like wow. This is this means oh, this story means a lot more to me than I thought it would. Right. And I think and that's how it was with me. You know, it was like yeah. this story, this man. Like I'm spending Thanksgiving with him in like a week. <laughs> like, that's so awesome. Yeah. Man. It's like and you made a lifelong friend. Probably. Oh, absolutely, man. It's like a. It's crazy. You know, there were two reasons this film took a year to make, and it's only 15 minutes, so that should not take a year to make, but. One reason it did is because with the whole George and Doris are uh, should I give like a synopsis of the film sure. for people to why not? So uh Rally George, which is a documentary that I made over the past year, um, and it just got released in twenty nineteen, uh July twenty nineteen. It's basically um it's just a short documentary about the life and worldview of George Beckerman, who is a 72 year old farmer. He's a 72 year old farmer in uh, Mount Carmel, Illinois, which is like Mount Carmel, Illinois is like a, it's a town with like 4,000 people and dropping, but um, he basically just has an amazing worldview and he used to, he has all these hobbies and interests and curiosities uh, that have sort of led him through life. And uh, it's it centers around him and his wife Doris. They used to he used to race rally cars, and his wife Doris was his co driver, um, which is crazy which is nuts. Man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's nuts. And and route for those of you who don't know about rally racing, it's insane. Like a lot of people are like, oh, that's cool. Like they race cars together, but rally racing is like it's a intense. Di- it's in a different breed. It's like known as like one of the sketchiest forms of professional <laughs> race car. Like they race on closed public roads that are dirt and want the driver has never seen the road before and the passenger has seen it once and was allowed to take notes on it and they drive it as fast as they can and the passenger has to feed the notes to the Dude. driver as they're flat. like they move so fast that sometimes the passenger the co-driver will feed a note like they'll feed a a one of the notes on a turn before the turn even happens. That's so crazy. they have to turn before they can even see it. Oh my God. Yeah. They're like literally being their eyes. So that, you know, that, that theme of trust yeah. was in there between, you know, two people that are married and in love. And so the film basically is about them and about George and his outlook on life. And, you know, they, it was basically he and, you know, he and Doris their whole life and, 
they end up meeting a family and the family ends up, you know, adopting them, uh, as their grandparents, they never had children. So it's, it's sort of about, it's just a short documentary about this man and his wife and the life they've sort of chosen to live, uh, the curiosities they've chosen to follow, whether that be for their hobbies and interests or people and, um, how they treat people and how that's kind of come back for them yeah. because they, they decided not to have children and, uh, in the end, they ended up having five grandkids because this family, they ran into this family serendipitously and, you know, through their interactions with them and how they made this family feel, the family who happened to not have, you know, grandparents around decided that, you know, to give, to let them kind of spend time with their kids and it just kind of blossomed into this family. So it's like they had no family and then suddenly they had five grandkids and it's all because of, all of it is because of this like curiosity, you know, for people and, and life. They they're, just, they're genuine. Yeah. I mean, you could so tell genuine. being at that party that they were just mm-hmm. the most loving, kind people. Yeah. Very approachable. Mm-hmm. And like you said, he's just a soft little man, you know, yeah. just the nicest. That's so wild, man. It's crazy. And you man. really portrayed it so well. Like I, I said. Man, I appreciate that. It's uh the only reason I was able to was because I spent so much time with him. I let like how I felt about him and how he was rub off on me. You know, he, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was very, it was a very profound experience for me, but that, that, you know, somebody told me once, and this is like, it's kind of hard to, I feel like I end up rambling a lot about the film because it's hard to put into words. Even after I've like made it, it's still hard to like describe how it was like how it felt making it. But I think the best, the crazy thing is I'm going to say this. So George, it's hard to describe him verbally. I feel like it's, you know, you say genuine, but we all know genuine people. And I feel like George just feels more than genuine, but what is, you know, what is more than genuine? Right. But, um, the, the most profound thing I think that I've ever heard said about him was I, when I was editing the film, I had this idea to do audio testimonials. Like, have friends, you know, who've met him talk about him and he would, uh, he would kind of, uh, then that would kind of paint a portrait through people's experiences, you know? And I had a hard drive failure, um, like while editing and I lost a lot of stuff. Oh man, it was heartbreaking. That's tough, man. That hurts. Yeah, it was, uh, it sucked, but you know, I found I like saved the stuff I needed to save, and the only thing I lost was a bunch of those audio testimonials. And one of them that I lost was so great that, and the film, I think, I, I think it works better without them. But there's one that I will never forget, and it's from a friend of mine, Ryan Ubelor, who's actually the owner of one of George's old cars that we use in the video. And he said, um, he said. Let's see. I hope I don't butcher it. <laughs> okay. So what he said was, he said that, he, and he, keep in mind, this guy only spent two days with George. Yeah. Like two days with him, probably one real day with him. And he said that, George, when you're in the same room with him, the general vibe that he gives off, you know, when it, the way he listens to you and speaks to you is, the general vibe of him is that everything you've ever done, your failures, your successes, um, you know, everything you've ever accomplished, everything you ever will be and ever have been is enough for him. And I was like, and you get that just by being in the same room with him. It's like that intoxicating, man. Yeah. And I was like, and this simple guy, you know, this simple fourth generation farmer on the same farm, the same Midwestern town. That's just so pure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's so pure. And you know what? When I was thinking about moving to LA and stuff, I was like, and you know, it's still a possibility for work, but I think that I had some kind of like, change in priority you know i was like what why i was like why do i want to be there and it's like oh well i would think about my career and like oh i gotta be here and then i'll be happy or i gotta be here and then i'll you know i'll feel the way i want to feel be the person i want to be and then i like see george and i'm like dude he like he just lived his life and treated everyone the way he wanted like he thought that he should treat them and i had a change in priority i was like 
no. Like if I do go, you know, if somebody offered me a job or something, I would go, but I'm not going to go like chase somebody who doesn't exist. And I don't know, you know, reach for a goal or not reach for a goal, but I'm not going to like chase happiness. That's never going to, you know, I'm never going to get there. Right. Right. It's like, you have to, I think the way he lives is that you should have a quest for knowledge and for, you know, you should have a quest for knowledge and the things that you want and you should want more knowledge and you should want more out of life. But if you didn't get it and you lost all of it, that everything you had and who you are is enough. And I feel like that's, that's a much better way to live and a much healthier way to live than um, trying to become something and then thinking that there's an end, you know, because once you get there, then it's not enough. And I feel like there's a balance of, you know, being driven and also being okay with everything. And I, and I feel like my motivation for wanting to go at the time was very, I want, you know, I got to be this. I've got to like, I'm, I believe that I'm good. So I have to go do this and then I'm going to be, you know, whatever. And a lot of it's just like, it's just forced. Isn't know? that crazy though, man? Cause I feel like, and it's not necessarily this town. I think it's just the industry itself and mm-hmm. like being creative and things of that nature that you're always trying to hold yourself up to like the utmost standard. And right. then all these people are around you. And now we have social media and all these things where you, you have to compare yourself to other people. Right. And so you're like, man, I'm, I'm like, you know, they're there. Why am I not there? Why am I not here yet? And this right. and that. And so you kind of get lost. And yeah. And the crazy thing is that even if you did get there, yeah. Then what? You're still going to want, there's somebody else right. way higher and you're going to look at them the same way and it never ends. It's like you're spending, yeah, you're spending your time chasing something that's, you know, that you'll never find. And I know that that kind of sounds cliche and people say that a lot, but it's it, true. It, it was a real realization. Like it was like a, I don't know, just this like suddenly, yeah, it's like the shroud was lifted and all these things that were important suddenly it's like the shroud was lifted and all these things that were important suddenly are not important anymore, you know. And did, did you feel like Nashville just wasn't providing that happiness for you or So Nashville is a confusing Nashville is a confusing place for film because it's um there are people doing awesome stuff here, like really great stuff and it's like very high quality stuff, but it's the the quantity of bad stuff as far as like content and quality is like really high. And that that's really not, has nothing to do with like the skill level of Nashville and more to do with what people pay for. Because mm-hmm. film is one of those things where it's like, you know, you can be really talented and you can like make a lot with a little, but at a certain point it's like there's this balance of um, renting gear or having gear that costs a lot of money that you can make a more high production value product and also like charging what you think you're worth. And a lot of times if companies aren't paying what these people think they're worth, it's like makes this really weird. um, I don't know, this really weird industry where there's a lot of like, there's just the majority of it is just super, super low budget work. Um, And I think that for me, I was like, I'm really serious about the art of film. And Nashville, it's like an industry, but I feel like I find that less. I find like less people who are like, I've like, you know, freelance for small production companies before. And, you know, sometimes they're just like, like, and I really have no room to talk if I like, you know, I'm not super into them. I don't think their work's great because a lot of times they're pretty successful. You know, they're doing, they're growing and, you know, doing really well. But it's, it's for me, it's, I don't know. It, I was talking to somebody earlier and I was like, there's like a, I think there's just a different way of working. And LA has a lot of the type and New York has a lot of the type that I like um, because they're huge art cities, you know. And, and basically it's like the two ways are, um, it's like purpose driven work, you know, what is your purpose or fulfillment driven? What gives you fulfillment? And the companies that I would keep freelancing for, it's like, they would be mainly like content creation or something. And they would be, you know, they're going through the tunnel and the light at the end of the tunnel is money and business growth, which is like real and needs to happen. And then, you know, the, if they make good work along the way, then that's good. 
But if they make bad work, as long as they get to that light, they're good. Right. And for me, it was always the good work and the quality work and like reaching people emotionally or whatever was at the light at the end of the tunnel. And then money was just something that had to happen. Yeah. So it's like getting the same things, but just a different thing driving it. And I think for me in Nashville, I don't know. I just like, I would get tired, you know, of running into the same thing. Like, trying to talk to somebody about like, Oh my God, did you see that shot? Or like getting really into like the art of it. And then them just like glazing over, you know, it's like a, it just gets very like, there's such thing as a business where you care about what, like the art that you make. Of course. And I feel like it's just hard to find. I feel like for me personally, I've like, I've had a hard time finding people who want both of those do you, um, do you think that's because people are too focused on money, like m- trying to make a living doing that? And so they're like, okay, I'm just going to try to get any gig I can, and I'm just going to try to put out as much content as possible with all of these gigs. I I don't know about that. I think that I think that, that definitely has something to do with it. I think, But I think mainly it's just like you can break it down into age groups too. It's like sometimes you just like get hit with the stresses of life, you know, and you need money and art a lot of times has this weird gap where it's like when you create the things that you think are good or that like you go for the good, it's like there's zero money in it yeah. for a while. And then suddenly there's more money than there ever was with that middle ground of like making shit and cranking it out. You right. Know? But it's really difficult to get to that point, you know, to that point where everyone's like, you know, where you're making art and people are like, wow, like just the quality makes it valuable. Whether, you know, music is the same way. It's like you have these people that, you know, there are lots of people in Nashville who just crank out stuff because they know. all over the world. I know all over the world. I mean, my only experience is in Nashville as far as music goes. And they're like, they crank out, they crank out shit because they know people listen to it. And that's kind of, but then but then there's like artists that actually write, you know, to reach someone. And I feel like a lot of times it's, it's not necessarily harder either way, but it it's just the money coming. There's like this gap, I think. And yeah. there's a gap in like, uh, it's like no money. And then eventually it's like you suddenly your work is very valuable. Um, and I think it's, that's true for film as well. It's like, I know some directors of photography who started in Nashville and they like, they were making, you know, they made some small stuff, but then they, I, I don't know, a brand or somebody who had money saw something that they made and it's like candy, you know, it's like once, when somebody has a lot of money, whether it be a company and then they see like a, I don't know, a commercial or something, the way it looks and they're just like, we want that, you know, yeah. suddenly this their their attention to art and how they make it is very valuable. Right. And I think that's suddenly when there's a a shift, you know, it's like where you work really hard on your craft and not only your craft, but how you use that craft to speak to people artistically, you know, speak to the listener or the viewer. And eventually somebody listens, you know, that's an interesting point because if, um, you're talking about this gap and I'm thinking like you just said, if you're just putting out a bunch of shit and then all of a sudden you get noticed and you're like, damn, you know, I'm on a bigger scale than what I was. I kind of want to start thinking a little bit more about what I'm putting out. Right. You know, so it's crazy. It's crazy how there's a different path. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Cause I, I was saying like that somebody, uh, that's, you actually just highlighted like something about what I said that I don't even, I wasn't even thinking about, which is crazy. Like, so I was talking about a path where, you have the people who crank out shit, right? And they make money, like, right now. Then you have the people who, like, make what they want to make. And it's, like, much harder to make money because they're not fitting, like, in the same, and, you know, they're, yeah. like a, they're a square peg in a right. round hole. Right, And then all of a sudden, like, that they want the square peg, Yeah, you know? And exactly. I feel like, but the gap in between that is, like, no money and super, super hard and, like, defeating. But you just also shed light on, like, a another like pathway to that making money is that some people like crank shit out 
And then eventually they do get like a break or they get somebody who wants them to crank, like really get artistic. And then suddenly they step up to the plate and they're like, all right, yeah. well, this is the time to change my work. But it's like, and that's why I kind of, I, mean, I, talk, but, I talked about it like different viewpoints on like fulfillment based work, like what your fulfillment is. It's not that either is bad or good. They both get, you know, they both get somewhere. But to me, I relate more to the, the quality of the art and like reaching people first. Um, and then the money second, which has led me to make probably a lot less money. Sure. <laughs> sure. But, you know. Yeah. I, I think of it in a music aspect because I'm not, you know, regardless of if, my I ever get to a scale where like thousands and thousands, you know, of people, millions of people are listening to my songs. Right. You know, I don't want to go back on this my catalog and be like, damn, why did I record that? That's such a you know, right. I don't like that at all or right. we should have done that, this differently. That'll always happen though. You yeah, always have an yeah. old work where you're like, What was I thinking? But I mean I'm not gonna go so far left field that um, you know, I'm not I'm definitely not gonna record anything that is just not me and that I wouldn't record. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, and that's interesting because, you know, it sounds like there may be a different, different outlook in the film side of things. Maybe people. Yeah, I think, and you know what I think it is actually is that film music is like, man, music is music is like just raw art. It's like raw. You're like right, even if you write something that's like you know everything is like to an extent really trying to tap into somebody, even the most, like even some of the mediocre stuff, but film is like, um, it's a, it's more used more as a tool and things like companies will just get, they want a person with a camera to video some event. And when you think about it, like, let's take this, take like a, a cinematographer who sees, uh, you know him or herself as an artist and they want to reach people emotionally and they go on a job where their job is to just cover like a corporate event the corporate people like don't a lot of times they don't want any of that they just want it covered yeah and it's like um so you make a lot of money if you just give them what they want sure and you crank it over and over and over and over and i feel like with music it's yeah i don't know music I don't want to say it's more genuine in the way that it's like created, you know, yeah. from creation to listener, but I get what you mean. Yeah. 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 Cause, cause in the sense, like if you're going to do that corporate gig for film, you know, you're, you're just capturing what's going on, right. you know, and you're doing, you're getting what they want rather than, mm -hmm. you know, rather mm -hmm. than in your head, you're like, okay, I'm going to film this in my perception of this event. Right. That makes sense. Like, right. I'm going to make this story mode about, mm -hmm. you know, how I'm feeling at this event rather right. than just capture what's going on. Right. And give it to them. Yeah. And I feel like mine has always been, and, you know, I've done plenty of those jobs. I'm not talking like I'm, you know, I only do stuff where, you know, it's like exactly what I want to do, but it's a constant political battle to try to, like, oh, I know you guys just want me to cover this, but, like, what if I, I don't know, what if I use this score and what if we really made people like, you know, what if we inspired people to be a part of your company or we made them really feel what it feels like to be there and, you know, yeah. things like that. But it's like I've found more often than not that it is like a it's a you have to like really sell that stuff to be able to do it. So a lot of people just like, you know, they don't want to. They just know that if they go and they show up, they're going to make money and they just keep doing it. And there are lots of companies here that want that stuff. So I'm I think that my problem with it was just. I don't know. I just really wanted to, I got a taste of like making stuff that reached people. And I was just like, that really, I felt like connected with people and made them feel things other than, wow, that company seems cool or that, you know, and I think that I wanted more of it. You right, know, I was it's like, addicting. Yeah. I was like, I was like, you know, like the rally George premiere, yeah. Every you said there wasn't a dry high in the house and that's like, that's intoxicating. You want to do that again. Yeah, it's intoxicating. <laughs> it's like I when you reach people like that, it's like, man, I, you know, I did that. Right. I like it's powerful. It and same thing with music. I've seen I've seen my friends, they were musicians, you know, when they play and they like people in the audience are like feeling it, like really feeling it. You can see it in their face. It's like I'm sure it's like unlike anything. It's, it, there's no way to explain it. Right. I mean, cuz you're just saying, you know, something I just created is making somebody else feel this way. Man, I really, I really want to talk about the trip 
the that, trip? Yeah, dude. Because I'm excited about it. We didn't talk about it enough at dinner, and I, I, know. I wanted to save some of it for this. Oh my gosh, I. Well, have to, I was thinking about that on the way, and you wanted to talk about it, and I was like, I got to pick like certain things to talk about because I could talk of like there's so much I could well, talk for an hour. I definitely, I definitely want to know. There's a few things that you said at dinner that kind of mm-hmm. sparked my interest. Like, I want to know more about the idea of why you wanted to do it, and I okay. want to talk about like your grandfather's journal and stuff like that. Okay, cool. You know, when Not you taking were taking your notes, I see. <laughs> <laughs> when you were, uh, God does his research. When you were, you know. When we did the bad news video and you said you had already done the Rally George film mm-hmm. at that point, um, did you know you were wanting to get on your motorcycle and go cross country at that point? So, yeah, actually, you know, the funny thing is like how I met George specifically kind of gets lost in translation. They're like sort of like there's one real story and then there's like a couple of like really small meetings I had with him. And one of those small meetings was uh, where I didn't know him very well before the Rally George film was even close to a thing is I went, I got inspired by a book to ride cross country. I really wanted to do it. And I, um, I had lots of reasons for wanting to do it at the time, but I knew that I wanted to, and I researched the bike that was best for it. Right. And got real into it. And, uh, I, somebody told me that George, I already knew it. I've already gone to George and met him, but like I, somebody told me that he had a book the bike that I needed. And I went there and I bought it. You're from kidding. That's serious. <laughs> I went there and I bought it from it and it was in a pile of like boxes. It was like in parts. And I was like, Oh no, like, put this, it together. Yeah, I was like, I was like, what am I getting myself into? But I like, I bought it and sure enough, everyone told me, you know, I mean, I didn't know George that well at the time. They're like, dude, George, like if you buy it from George, like he takes such good care of his stuff. It's like, you should buy it from. And him. at this time, this when, was before I shot anything. Or before like, you even had the idea no, of the before film? before I even decided I was going to make a film on him. Okay, okay. Yeah, this was a while ago. Yeah. And so I, like, I got this bike from him, and the crazy thing is, like, the bike was worth... It had 6,000 original miles on it, and for one of those bikes, is like, unbelievable. And he, uh, he... It was 650 cc's. Yeah. And he sold it to me for 650 bucks because he thought it was funny because it was 650 cc's. And it was worth like, the bike was worth like, even though it was in parts, it was worth like, you know, three grand. At the what time. kind of bike was it? It's a 1996 KLR 650. They're like, they're like enduro, like dual sport motorcycles, but they made like the same model for 20 years. Yeah. And they're just used a lot for long distance stuff because third world countries have like all their parts and stuff. Cause they haven't changed since the eighties. Yeah. So, but they're, they're really cool. They're like slow and ugly, but they're, they're just super reliable. And I, I mean, I figured that out cause I, you know, I ran that thing like 7,000 miles, which is <laughs> <laughs> crazy. But yeah, so I got that idea and, um, really what, so I got the bike from George, which, you know, because I ended up making the film made it even more profound to right. like, take this trip. Right. So I, um, but what sparked it was like, I, there was a book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance that really got me going. And I was like, man, I think I could do that. It's like, I really, I catch myself loving road trips and not having music on or anything, just thinking the whole way. And I was like, I loved it. People were like, oh man, it's so boring. I got to drive four hours. I was like, man, like I love that. Yeah. Like you're just driving and you can just think about everything, everything. your life and you know, where you're at and what you're doing. And it's just like. It's kind of just like re- self therapy. Oh, totally, man. And I, I catch caught myself wanting to drive long distances. So I was like, yeah, I think I could do this. And then what solidified it for me is what you were talking about. So I was like cleaning my mom's house out one day and I find this box and it's got this old book in it and it's like leather and tathered up, right? And yeah, I found this old book and it was my grandfather's and it was like an autograph book. It, it worked as similar to a yearbook. So like, you know, people would sign and date and they would just say something about him like, Hey, you know, good luck with life or whatever. And so I like opened it up and the date started in 1938. Golly, yeah. Man. And they would say things, they, some of them rhymed and you know, <laughs> it was like, it was, pre- it was pretty cool, but there was like six pages filled out and then he just started doing math on it. I think he like, little doodling. Yeah, when he was older. Somebody who I gave the book, actually, one of the people who signed it on the trip, read his journals, and they actually looked at the math, and they said that the math looked like uh, foundation yeah. blueprints. Right. And they built their house, the house that they had all the families in that could have been the foundation that they were doing blueprints. It was just kind of cool that, like, 
he had like uh, these people talking about him when he was like 10 years old, you know, and then suddenly the foundation for the house where he'd have his family was being, you know, written in there. But basically the book was six pages was filled out and they wrote to my, you know, grandfather, like 1938 to, you know, the early forties. And then, um, but there was a whole, you know, 40, 50 pages left. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this book with me on the trip and I'm going to have every single person I meet along the way sign it and say something and date it. So it's going to go from 1938 to 20. (laughs) At the time I was like 2017, but now it's 2019. Yeah. But I had that idea and, you know, it kind of changed over time, but I was like, this is like, I know I want to do this. And (laughs) water break. Yeah. 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 Um, in film interviews, we always have to wait for like planes. We're like plane, plane. You just gotta wait for it to go over. Um, but yeah, so it changed over time. You know, I like uh, I made the Rally George documentary, and suddenly, you know, using that bike and everything became a lot more valuable. And over the the next couple of years, I got it like I prepped it and got it ready for long distance. I went to Florida and back like twelve hundred miles, which was like a small step you know, for the big one. And I, uh, I, yeah, so I made the film. And then when I finished the film, it took so much of my life and so much of myself. I was like, well, now what, you know? Yeah. And then I was like, I wanted to do the trip. I don't really have the money I wanted and have the time I wanted, but I don't know. It's just like, it's now or never, you know? And I, why did, why did you feel like that? It was now or never. I don't know. I, I just got this like, when I, you know, you have a purpose, right? I was making the film and I felt like I had this purpose, this like goal. And it was one of those things that when I finished it, it I, you know, I was super proud of it, but there was definitely this like, what is my purpose now? A little and emptiness. I, I, yeah, yeah, a little emptiness, but I also just felt changed. Yeah. You know, I was like, I feel like a different person than before I, I went on this, you know, and I, so I was like, I, I kind of want, I don't know, I I was felt like this want for change, like a, a real change. And I was like, I have a month until my next gig. I was like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I could do it now. I was like, I could do it. And so I spent like, I between the time I made the decision for going and the time I left was like a week and a half. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to spend the next eight days uh, prepping the bike. And getting it ready and getting, you know, changing the tires and the oil and all that stuff and spark plugs and packing. And and yeah, and I went and it was like, uh, it was crazy. I So I basically what I did is I did the Transamerica Trail most of the way to Los Angeles, which is an 80% dirt trail um, that goes all the way over. And then I veered off when I wanted to because I kind of want I really wanted to carve my own path um, and visit friends and stuff along the way. And I didn't want to feel like bound because if like, I, I don't know if I was not having fun on the trail, I'd feel really bad if I was like, no, I have to keep doing it. So yeah. I just wanted to veer off when I wanted to, but yeah, I went, it was three and a half thousand miles to Laguna beach and then in Los Angeles. And then I went up to San Francisco, stayed there for a bit, went back down through Sequoia national forest. And then, took the southern hemisphere like the southern part of the country all the way back um yeah it was like seven thousand miles and it was like it changed me that changed me too right after the documentary and i feel like it was like really good like i mean my my hair was like long and like (laughs) scratch like i looked at myself in the mirror like one of the last days and i was just like i don't know it was just this physical change and the crazy thing is i remember i did a lot of writing too i was going and I, i remember writing one time about how I changed and nobody's seen it really. Like I posted pictures writing and stuff, but I looked like way different and nobody had seen it. And that was like really cool to me. It was like this, like, you know, like wild and unseen, you know, version right. of myself and a version of myself. I don't think I'd ever seen before, you know, cause I think I've camped before, but camping almost every day for, you know, um, over a month and, not like being exposed to the elements the whole time and breaking down in the middle of nowhere and having to fix the bike and not knowing if you can do it, but doing it, it just makes you feel like makes you feel alive, man. Yeah, dude. It makes you feel alive. And it makes you like, I don't know. It's like, I didn't, I didn't know that 
I was capable of this stuff. And then suddenly you do it and you're like, wow, like I, you know, I am capable of that. And I feel like that's, I don't know, that's life, man. That's how life should be. You should, you know, man, I wish I would have brought the book. I could have read some quotes, but some of them are, um, I don't know. There was like a lot of really awesome quotes in there, but, um, I read, there was a poem that I read. I mean, it's kind of cliche, but song, song of the open road by Walt Whitman. I like read that pretty much my whole, like over and over, like the whole way. And it's a song or it's a a poem about traveling, but it's gosh, man, some of the quotes were like, I would constantly be experiencing things that were like, direct quotes from this like yeah. you could, you knew that he was traveling when he wrote it because i was just experiencing it like there was one that said uh whenever i would like there was a time where i broke down in the middle of the desert i snapped a clutch ca- oh no okay so here's a story <laughs> oh here we gosh. go this is slightly embarrassing but also like one of those moments where i was like wow i can't believe i did that and it was uh so oh shit I should probably tell a story about meeting the guy, too. Damn. You got to. Uh, okay. All right. So, two stories mashed into one. Um, all right. Here we go. <laughs> you were camping this whole time, you said? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much camping the whole time. I mean, if it was, like, really bad weather, I, I like, got a small motel or, or something like that, um, or couch surfed. When I was in San Francisco, I couch surfed, but... It was a, I mean, couch surf in LA too. So, but it was, um, yeah, pretty much mostly that. So there's a lot of things that I wanted to do when I got on this trip and just kind of ways you envision it, you know, going down. And I re- I was doing it alone. I went all the way across alone, but I knew I wanted to meet somebody, you know, I wanted to meet some friends, maybe somebody who rode and like ride with them for a few days, you know, or something like I wanted things like that to happen, but I wanted to do it alone. That's, and, that's awesome. And while I was on the trip, uh, day three, I'm on the trail, right? And I'm not a motocross rider. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm not like, I don't ride trials. I'm not like a, I'm not that experienced riding off-road. So I'm like learning as I'm going, right? And I get to this section and there's just these like three foot ruts. And I mean like the width of my front tire and just like, a f- you know, two feet deep. So if my front tire goes in it, it's like, I'm done. I can't like turn or move or anything. And I look at it and I was like, oh, you know, shit, this is (laughs) day three. Um, Should I turn around? (laughs) Right, right. I was like, I was, that went through my head, but I was like, you know, I was, it was still early. I was like, no, like the point of this trip is just like hit things head on. do it. So I'm just going to do it. And I did it. And like, I got over some of it, you know, and I was getting pretty like cocky and I was like, all right, I'm doing it. And then. All of a sudden, there was just this giant, I mean, like, I would, I would have had to, like, pop the clutch and do, like, a wheelie or something to get over it. Like, it was, there was just no, it wasn't happening, not with my skills. And I put it directly in the ditch, like, just <laughs> directly, in, and I dropped the bike. So, it's keep in mind, it's 113 degree heat index in Mississippi. <sighs> I dropped the bike, break the clutch lever. You can't ride the bike without the clutch. Yeah. So break the clutch other, snap it. Realized right then after it happened that I ran out of water. Day three. Damn. I know. And I was like, so, you know, like fight or flight mode happens. And I was like hopped off the bike and pulled out my tools and and um, pulled out my tools. And luckily I brought a bunch of spare parts and I pulled out my tools. And like while holding the bike up because it's in a ditch, I like replaced the the clutch lever and then like rode it out of this ditch and then got out. But like after I finished that section of the trail, I went to a gas station. I remember sitting down and I was just like, man, dude, like that was a close call. And if that was like day three, I was like, I don't know if I could do that every day. I was like, this is, it was like defeating. And then I was like, no, you know what? I got to get back on the horse because if I don't, I'm going to psych myself out. So I, you know, I get back on and I go to the head of the next trail and I'm like turning in. And right as I turn in, there's this guy also on a motorcycle doing the trans America trail. And he's like tipped over in this giant mud puddle. (laughs) And he looks at me like, don't come in here. Don't do it. And I was like, 
I was like, oh, shit, in the same day, like right after this, and I get off my bike, but I was really happy to see somebody else, and I like walk over there, and you know, it's like, this is, this is like, looks like a water puddle, but it's like a, it's like solid mud. It looks like water, but it's not, and it was insane, so basically, um, I just like, I got ratchet straps, and we like pulled, I pulled him out, he pulled me across, and then we rode together from there to los angeles man every two days he'd be like oh we'll split off and then we ended up oh let's go see this you know let's go see that and it was that guy like we just hit it off we could have also like not vibed together like not been like similar but he was just like fascinating and we both were just like hitting off and it was great but that leads me so meeting this guy was great we were riding together but two days later we thought we were in the clear because there are two of us right and we're riding I think we just got into Arkansas and we hit a patch of mud and I'm still not good at riding in mud. So like I lose control of the bike and I drop it and I snap my other clutch lever. Oh man. Two days later. Right. And I don't have a spare. So like we're pretty far out from anything. Like we're in pretty much in the middle of nowhere and we're in the middle of this like farm pasture where they had like an access road, you know, as part of the trail. And I was like, shit. I was like, I don't, I don't know. And this is one of those moments where I was like, I didn't know that I could do this. What are you going to do? Yeah. I was like, that was the thing. I was like, I don't know what to do. So like Jason is calling like all these parts places. Like, Hey, do you have a clutch lever for this? And we called all these places and no one, nowhere with it, like 150 miles had one. So we were like, shit, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. And eventually we called some friends and a friend of mine here figured out that another bike had the same clutch. And we found the closest place was 50 miles and it had a clutch lever that would work. Shit. But I had a bike without a clutch. And you can shift a bike. You can uh, upshift a bike without a clutch. But you can't downshift. So I was like, how the hell am I going to ride this away? <laughs> and so I spent like an hour doing this. But eventually I had a spare brake lever, which does not fit the clutch side at all. But it is a lever. So it's used for the same thing. So what I did is I took the lever and I flipped it for the clutch side and I, uh, the cl- a cable clutch is like a little cable and it has a ball on the end of it. You pull it. That's how right. it works. So I, I stuck the ball and, and I zip tied it to the brake cable and then I took vice grips and pliers and clamped them on to where it like held to it and i cradled it in my hand (laughs) and rode with it cradling it in my hand and then every time i needed to downshift or take off i like pried it into the handlebar and then squeezed it and then put it back in my hand so it didn't fall apart and i rode 50 miles like that. holy shit and i like when i got done with that it was like god it was so hot and so hard but i was like i was like damn that's like i cannot believe that i did that (laughs) and and it was ridiculous, and it was embarrassing that I didn't bring enough parts, and or I didn't have brush guards, you know, to save me from doing that. But it reminded me of this quote from the Walt Whitman poem, and it is, um, he said, uh, he said, uh, "I am larger and better than I thought." Yeah, and I, I, oh God, it resonated with me. Like I am larger and better than I thought. All seems beautiful to me. So it's like this realization that. You know, like one of the first lines in that poem is, uh, do not wish me like a foot and lighthearted I'd take to the open road. Do not wish me good fortune because I myself am good fortune. Yeah. So it's like this very like self-empowering poem, but it it didn't feel like it was a pick-me-up. It felt like just very, very real. I can imagine that the whole trip, you know, made you feel that way. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I feel like. One of the biggest lessons on the trip, too, is kind of similar in the whole Rally George thing as far as people and the way you treat people and and what you get out of that, to be honest, like for yourself and, you know, for your own, I don't know, your own, your own worldview, I guess, you're the game in your own worldview, but is, um, is like I met so many people. And I wanted everyone to sign this book, right? I wanted to, and I actually am like, I have them sign the book and then I take a portrait of them. I brought a bunch of cameras with me. And, um, yeah, so I took a portrait. I took a portrait of everyone that I basically, the goal was 
to take a, a photo of them and then have them sign the book. And that way it's like, I, I really interact with all these people. And then I also like taking a photo is very intimate. You know, most people get clammed up. It's like asking a person if you can kiss them, you know, they're like, take a photo of me. Yeah. Why? My soul. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like people get very like, but you know, a lot of people, if you have a purpose for it, it's like, they're kind of honored to be able to do it. And I think I got that reaction most of the time. I think there was only one person that, you know, didn't do it, but I, so the point was to like sort of give that intimate experience and almost like open the door for a person to become closer to me mm-hmm. in like an instant. You know, these were like 10 minute conversations. Right. And I would be at a gas station. I was like, oh, you know, where are you going? It's like, oh, I'm going to Los Angeles. Really? And then they'd talk to me for a few minutes and I'd be like, hey, will you sign my book? And they're just like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, no, no, like this is, you know, I'm bringing this book and I'm taking portraits and I'm just going to take your photo and then, you know, do the book and I think that a huge lesson from that is that like sometimes, man, I would be like rushing or like raising the sun to get somewhere and somebody would talk to me and I'm like, shit, like I had to get the book out and like that. I'm like in a rush. But every time I'd like stop myself and like decide to talk to the person. Right. Yeah. And every single time I was like rewarded with like this person and every single conversation was um, unbelievable. And I feel like, I feel like, you know, I was afraid at first that I would take, I would have so many people sign the book and take so many photos that I wouldn't remember whose photo went with what, you know, thing. And I remembered every single one of them. Of course. Because, because every single one of them meant like so much and I didn't expect that. And I think that when it really sat in for me was I was, I just got to, um, the beach on the Pacific Ocean, and that was like a big symbolic moment for me. You know, getting you know getting. Oh yeah, you just drove all the way from that. Right, <laughs> but you know, well, but some people, you know, some people are into symbolism, and some people aren't. Like Jason, I love, like he's awesome. But I was like, do you want to ride with me to like the Pacific Ocean? Like we can both like set our feet. And he was like, nah. He was yeah. just like, I'm just gonna. He was like, I'm just gonna hang out in the city. And I was like, all right, you yeah. Know? But I got there and I like walked to the water, right. This is a little cheesy, but it's, I mean, it's the way that I saw it. So I like walked up to the water and the tide was like coming towards me, you know? And it's like, I'd gone all this like way and now I'm like inches from the water and it came up to me and I could have let it like hit my feet and I didn't let it hit my feet. I stepped into it and I feel like when I did that or like the reason for doing that is like I went on this trip and you, you make, you have interactions with people. And you, sometimes those interactions like are really good and, you know, you make a meaningful short relationship with somebody and meeting them. But really we have a lot of control over how deep of connection we make with a random person. We have a lot of like, we take the step, you know, into the water, like to meet somebody. And I feel like all these people, like I would take this book and instead of just being like, oh, thanks man. Yep. On my way. I'd be like do you want to sign my book? Do you want to like, I'm going to be vulnerable real quick and, you know, have you sign my book and, you know, you're going to let me take a photo of you. And it's just like very like with total strangers, you know, just, um, I don't know. It just, it definitely, it definitely shined a light on how much control we have over the relationships we have with people. And I think that that's sort of how George, it reminded me of George too. Cause that's how he is. It's like, he never just glazes over, so when he talks to him, he always, he always takes that step yeah. to like care, right. you know, takes a step to really get to know somebody. And I, I feel like, man, I felt that the whole time I was gone. I was like, dude, like how would George react to this? You know? Yeah. That's so cool, man. Cause I, I feel like that's something like you're saying, a lot of people don't initiate that aspect of life anymore. Mm-mm. Did you, do you feel like you brought a lot of that back with you to Nashville? I think, I think so. I, I definitely felt like it, you know, I didn't cut my hair for like a month after I got back. Cause I felt like I changed so much that I just didn't want to like, I didn't want to physically go back to how I looked. You right, know? I just right. like, I, I liked that I had changed. And, um, I think that I think I did bring a lot of it back with me. I think that it's like a, yeah, it's just, I definitely did. It's, it's like a. And I think the best way to know that you've taken that you can't are capable of that is to like just check yourself when somebody talks to you. Like somebody says, "Hey man, 
you know, uh, you catch them walking out of work and they're like, have a good day, man. And then, or they say something that's very like small talky and just take an extra step to like, try to, I don't know, figure to talk to them and get them to really respond. And, you know, maybe they'll brush you off, but you took the step. Right. And I think more times than not, when you take the step, you'll get something back. Like you said, you're rewarded. Exactly. You're rewarded with things that I feel like we crave all the time. You know, it's like people talk about how, you know, we're so connected with social media and stuff, but like we're really not, you know, we're connected but disconnected. And I think that that might, I think one reason that might be, and one reason that might be related to social media, and that's like a whole other topic, but I feel like, uh, it's that because it's easy, you know, you get very easy like interactions with people and very easy dopamine and, you know, but having a conversation with somebody or really like, I mean, really choosing to talk to them. I mean, it, it have, it can happen every single day, these interactions. And since I've been back at like, you know, I'm back in my hometown, but I still like, and now I'm like having these interactions with people and yeah, it's nuts. I mean, and some of the people that I talk to on the road too, it's like one good example is some of the most interesting people I met were in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is just <laughs> like surprising. I was like at a coffee shop, just sitting there, you know, and some guy comes up and he's like, oh, hey, KLR 650, man, I used to ride those. I was like, oh, that's awesome. And he's like, yep, rode it from Tulsa all the way to Argentina. I was like, <laughs> holy what? cow. He's took a year of my life. Yeah. I was like, what? I, I thought what I was doing was cool. You right. Know? He was like. He was like, yeah. And he was like, well, I didn't quite make it. And I was like, what do you mean you didn't make it? And he's like, well, there's a certain part that I was going to in Argentina and you had to take a ferry to get there. And he was like, uh, the ferry went down and we had to be saved from a barge ship. Shut and, up. Yeah, and the, his bike and everything <laughs> went down with it after a year of riding. Holy shit. You know? And I was like, this is this guy I just met. And if I wouldn't have like, if he was like, hey, KLR 650, I used to ride one. If I was like, cool. You know? And yeah. Then, like, yeah. And just brush, brush it off. off. Never would have got that. Yeah. You know? One, um. One guy, and this one actually, interaction was super small, but what he wrote in the book was not small. It was, like, amazing. This guy was, like, he was off work or something at this coffee shop and had his, like, little, you know, he definitely just got off work. He had, like, a satchel with papers in it. He was, like, chatting with me about the bike and just about, like, miscellaneous stuff, like, asking me what stuff on it was. And we were sitting down and had a chat, and then he, you know, left. You know, he said, yeah, I took his portrait, and then he left, and... Then I read his segment in the book and he said, so keep in mind, I'm like, my bike is like covered in mud and I've been riding on dirt the whole time. And I'm like at this coffee shop, like pretty much covered in mud. Yeah. And he was like, he said, uh, he said, I, I've been feeling really bad about the way we treat the soil. He said, we, we, it real literally gives life to all of us and we treat it really awful. He was like, all of us do the city. And I he was like, Tulsa's a city and I live in it and it treats it like awful. And he was like, so I came to this coffee shop working about ways to treat the soil better and the earth better. And he was like, I was thinking about going to the farmer's market and asking some of the local farmers, like how I can do that. He was like, but I found that inspiration with you and your story with your trip. He was like, here's to becoming closer with the soil. Wow. Isn't man. that amazing? That's... Isn't that so poetic? <laughs> and I was like, this random guy getting off work, he's like in a tie. And I was just like, man, here's to getting closer to the soil. Oh my gosh. I know. I was like, oh God, it was in just stuff like that all the time, man. Are you, time. are you one of those types of people that like you notice, um, like obviously you're out on you know, traveling across the country on this bike and meeting all these people. So it's probably, you're a little bit more self-aware of these occurrences that are happening. But let's just say you're here in Nashville. Are you pretty self-aware when like things like that happen in your life? You know, like it's just a moment where you're like, what just happened? Like that was wild. Oh, right. Like like an interaction or something that felt special in the moment? Yeah. I feel like, yeah, a lot of time, I feel like I look for them a little bit. Um, But... I don't know. Yeah, I feel like I, I'm aware of them. Some of the, I mean, like anyone, some of sometimes they like you know, they uh, they slip by. But I, yeah, I think I am aware of them. I look for, you know, I'm not the most religious person, but I look for meaning and like everything, which I always thought was ironic. Yeah, I don't but think it, you have to be religious. I mean, you just spiritual, like, right? A little bit of faith or something. You yeah, know? it's like I think it's just like meaning and like people and like the conversations I have with them, and I'm always searching for like. Uh, yeah, I feel like 
I feel like I've always like searched for more with people and maybe that's like why I'm interested in documentary and things like that, like getting to know more, but those little moments and being self-aware that, Oh, this is important. You know, like this is like, um, Oh, what was, uh, I had actually had a moment like that. Um, when I, the first time I rode the bike, um, long distance to Florida, I was going to like a friend's wedding and I was just like, Oh, I'll try the bike out and rode out there. And, um, at the wedding, right. It was like, it was a friend of mine from high school getting married and we were close, but we weren't that close. It wasn't like, you know, like a brother, like somebody's, it wasn't my best friend, but, um, I went there and it was fun. You know, we had the bachelor party and stuff like that. And then he's getting married and all his groomsmen were people I went to high school with. Right. And I'm like sitting there and I look at them and I look at his wife, like walk up and I was like, Oh man, it's like, this is a, it's like, you're watching a memory. Yeah. This is going to be a memory. It's like that. Look, all these people that I knew in high school are like grown up. Right. This guy's getting married. Like they're, everyone was up there like in their, in their tuxes. And I just, suddenly I saw these kids grown up and I was like, it was at that moment. I was like, this is a, this is like a memory that I'm watching. This is something I'm never going to forget. So I, I think definitely like, I think I definitely see the, you know, those little moments, but I think, I don't know. I think we, uh, that's nothing. That's like nothing sp- special either. Yeah. I think that we all, we all have our different, you know, things that we're self-aware about, uh, positively, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, different moments in their, our lives that are, you know, important to us or, or, um, strike some kind of like, uh, meaning that resonates with you, you know? Yeah, yeah man. I, you were talking about just initiating conversation with these people. Something I've started to do more now when I go play a gig, I used to just play and then, you know, at the end of the gig, I tell everybody thank you, and I'd be done, and I start packing up my stuff, and now I like try to make it a point to say, hey, like stick around, come talk to me. I want to talk to you. I want to know everything about you because nine out of ten times, there's one individual in that room that's got something extremely interesting to tell you right? and a crazy yeah. story, and it, it's I've noticed it starts, you know, it's happening more and. One of those guys could be Riley George. Yeah, you never yeah. know. Exactly, man, dude. Yeah. John, thank you so much, man, for coming on. This has been this has been great, uh, man. I, I, do you think you'll you're gonna you're gonna go across country again on that bike, or you think you? Oh, I'm definitely gonna go on another yeah, trip. Yeah, you got yeah, to, man. Yeah, I gotta do it. I don't know where I'm gonna go next time, but um, yeah, it's def it's definitely gonna happen. Man, I might have to go with you. Hey, man, I'd be okay <laughs> with that. Man, thank you again, dude. This has been fun. Man, so thank thanks. you for having me. Seriously, this has been a it's been a great time. Absolutely, man. Yeah.